0: Good morning again. What a blessing it is to be here. Got lots of stuff left over from last night, from yesterday. We had a fantastic singing yesterday afternoon, and I just want to give honor where honor is due. Uh, Our brother Steve Cravens uh, put all of that together. He did a lot of advertising in uh, various churches. His wife... Jessica, they helped uh, put all of that together, the food. We had a lot of folks, folks from Oklahoma. Oklahoma brought some desserts, and we just had a wonderful fellowship afterwards. We had, um, the official count was about 200 people uh, yesterday. I think last year when we first did it, we had 100, about 100 or so. Yesterday, the official count was 200. So I know we had a, at least 230 or 240. That's a preacher's count. I went around and counted myself uh, about 185, but uh, Jessica told me about a dozen folks had to leave a little bit early, and then there were folks back there getting food ready and all of that. So um, we, we we definitely had 200 plus. So um, and it was wonderful to have that many congregations. How many did we have? Almost 20, 18 congregations uh, represented yesterday. And uh, when it was over with. Um, I was telling Steve, thank you for all your hard work, and he said, I'm just so happy for the church. I'm just happy for the church. That's what he said, because, you know, um, I heard a preacher say years ago, uh, we in the churches of Christ are, are so autonomous, we're anonymous. Rarely Rarely do we get together and do anything with each other. Everybody does their own thing. We're autonomous. We have our own elders, and you have your elders, and everybody does their own thing. And sometimes because of that, we forget that we're one body, one body of people, just even here in the, in the same area and across the river. So what a beautiful, beautiful day. And God blessed us with, with wonderful weather. Last year it snowed. It snowed all morning, and I wasn't sure if we were going to have it, but, um, but we did have a great time. And so we're, I guess, already planning for next year. Steve's got it, uh, got it going. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's turn our Bibles there. At first, I thought we might cover quite a bit of this chapter, and as I began to study and read, um, I thought we're not going to cover as much. Uh, but as we come to Hebrews chapter 11, it's important, I think, that we don't separate it from the portion of Scripture that we just finished. Uh, we have to always look at the text in light of the verses right before it and in light of the verses right after it. Uh, we, we look at it in, in the context of the chapters that come right before and right after. We look at it in the context of the whole book, the whole book of Hebrews. What is the author of Hebrews trying to convey to uh, the reader? And then we look at that in light of really all of Scripture, um, so that we, we don't just yank something out of context and try to make it say something, but we want to look at it in light of, of the whole entirety of God's Word. As we've said, this book of Hebrews was written to a certain people who were going through a particular circumstance in their day and time. At the end of chapter 10, the writer issue as we, uh, issued, as we looked at last week, a very, Stern warning, a strong warning to those who would persist in sin, who would continually uh, live a life of sin after they had made some sort of profession of faith. Verse 32 of chapter 10 is a reminder. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, a reminder that they had experienced a lot of persecutions when they came to follow Jesus. They'd already gone through these things. They had had endured these things. Verse 35, he gives an exhortation. So do not throw away your confidence. Why? Because it will be richly rewarded. He's telling them to persevere to hang in there, not to give up. Why does he do this? Well, as we have said throughout the course of this study, uh, his readers were tempted to turn back. Uh, We're not sure exactly what all that they were confronted with, but we can surmise that They have gone through these persecutions. Many of them have left their families. They've left Judaism, and they've turned to follow this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And some of them are are certainly tempted to turn back to Judaism, to go back to that which was comfortable, to what they knew, the sights, the smells, the sounds of the temple. Others, we know from what he writes, were tempted to just go back to unbelief, to turn back to a state of unbelief. Back in chapter 3, I'm going to remind you of this, chapter 3 and verse 19, the writer says, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Those ancient people that were led out of Egyptian bondage, they were not able to enter into their, their Sabbath rest, enter into the promised land. Why? Because of their unbelief. Throughout the book, he is concerned that none of his readers should have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's also in chapter 3. But rather, he wants them to be people of faith. And that's where we ended last week, chapter 10 and verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and, and are destroyed, but we are of those who believe and are saved. So now, in chapter 11, 11, the author encourages his readers by taking them on a walk through this uh, art gallery of faith, or maybe rather a portrait uh, gallery of faith. Chapter 12, he's going to make application of all that we'll see, but for now, he's, he tells them, I want you to, to ponder these ancient people. I want you to to look at all of of these ancient people, and I want you to ponder and let that sink in. Think about their lives. Think about Noah. Think about Abraham. Think about Joseph. All that he went through, all the things that came against him, the faith that he had, the life that he lived. Think about Moses. Think about all of these ancient people and the faith that they exhibited in their lives. As it says there at the end of chapter 10 and verse 38, my righteous one will live by faith. That's a quote from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. My righteous will live by faith. So this morning, I want us to think about faith. What does it mean to live by faith? What does that actually mean? The writer says, let me tell you, or maybe let me show you what it looks like to live by faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, our reading this morning, the word of the Lord. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The question of faith is crucial this morning. So l- let me ask you a question, or rather, ask this question of yourself. Am I a man of faith? Am I a woman of faith? We need to ask ourselves that. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith. It is impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Why would you come and believe in a God that you don't even know exists? So you must believe that he exists. And without faith, he says, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the most crucial component of salvation. Faith is the most crucial component of salvation. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And he says, This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, if you and I could work for our salvation, if you and I could do anything that would add just one iota of importance to salvation, then you and I might be able to puff up our chest and boast and say, well, look what what I've done. Look at the good that I've done. I have somehow contributed to my salvation. But he says, no, 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 no. You're saved by the grace of God. And this is through your faith. And all of that is a gift. It's a gift of God, not by works. Now, we work, but but it's not to earn salvation. It's because we are saved, and God has given us good things that he wants us to do. So in trying to find out what faith is, I think it's important for us this morning in some ways to see what faith is not. You know, sometimes it's easy to to define something by saying, well, let's see what it's not. Um, I was thinking about that this week, and um, in fact, Scott and I were even talking about it yesterday. When we were in Africa, I don't, I don't know what happened, uh, but there were several things, and um, my brother Scott Ferdig, he likes um, a word. It's a technical word, um, but, it mean, uh, but it's, uh, well, let me just tell you the word. It's booyah. He likes to say booyah. Um, if you've ever watched Sports Center. Um, and, and my man is a, is, a, is a big sports guy But if you've ever watched Center you know, years ago, I don't know one of the sportscasters sort of uh, coined the phrase Booyah, you know when something good happens a guy scores a touchdown or a guy makes a three-point shot and they say booyah So I think it might have been at a baptism I, correct me if i'm wrong. No, don't don't correct me Don't correct me. Just let me <laughs> let me say what I want to say Something happened, and Scott said, booyah, and I said, I said, well, how would you define booyah? And he said, well, uh, booyah." That's how you define it, booyah. I said, you can't define a word by using the word. You got to say something else. He said, well, I said bam, you know, booyah." So that made it everything very clear to me from that point on. <laughs> but we're going to look at faith this morning. And I want us to look at what faith is not, okay? Because some of of what we regard as faith is not really faith at all. What faith is not? Faith is not simply an emotional, subjective feeling that is divorced from the objective truth that God has revealed. Well, that was a mouthful, so let me say it again. Faith is not simply an emotional, subjective feeling that is divorced from the objective truth that God has revealed. You know, many have fallen in love with the worship experience. Um, they, they, they get a warm fuzzy, you know, from the worship experience. And, and don't get me wrong, we, we should have some warm fuzzies there were some times yesterday, we had so many, so many people gathered here, you know, it seemed like all of this section was just kind of full and people were singing out. They were here because they wanted to be here and to sing praises. And there were times when I just kind of got lost in the praise and it sounded so good to me. Kind of get that warm, fuzzy. But, but faith is a lot more than that. I think we ought to have some of that. I think we ought to have some emotion in our services. I think we ought to get excited. When I say something good, you guys ought to give me some feedback. Amen? That's a good start. I think we ought to have some of that. But but what I have seen uh, throughout maybe the last several years is, and don't get me wrong, man, I love music. Music touches my soul almost like nothing else can. But I see a lot of people get caught up and just a worship experience, everything about, you know, uh, the music and, and the, the emotion and the energy. And they forget the God that all of that music and, and experience is designed to exalt. There, there seems to be a, um, a hype and an experience without the knowledge, without the foundation. But don't get me wrong, I love emotion. I, you, you know how emotional a guy I am. I stand before you sometimes and I get choked up, I can't even hardly speak because I'm so moved by by music or or the Word of God. But faith is not just an emotional, subjective feeling, divorced from the foundation and the truth of what God's Word is. Some today who would claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, who would call themselves a Christian, they question whether the Bible is 100% accurate whether the Bible is completely, truly the Word of God. There are some who would profess a faith in Jesus Christ, but would question the validity of the resurrection. Did did it really happen, or is that just something that the Bible says is sort of metaphorical or allegorical in nature, but it didn't really happen? There are some that question that today, and to that I say nonsense. It's hogwash. The Bible, if you, if you believe anything, you have to believe that the Bible is in the inerrant, infallible word of God. Because if some of it is not true, then how can you believe any of it? If 1% of it is not true, how could you believe anything? I stake my life, I stake everything on the fact that this is 100% true. Now, I may not understand all of it. I stand before you right now and acknowledge, I may not understand every bit of it, but I'm working toward that. I'm trying. Some of you are helping me. Barry said that we had, we've had some discussions of late. We have, and I've enjoyed that. Iron sharpens iron. He asked me a question, and I say this, and he says, well, what about this? And, and I think we're both stronger for it. First John chapter 2. Let me read you something here. What the gospel, uh, the, the Apostle John wrote. 1 John chapter two, verse twenty-two. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Some say Jesus was was just a good man. He was a good teacher, but I can't. I don't know if I can believe everything that that the Bible says. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. There is a lot of place for emotion in the family of God. We're not all wired up the same. But no problems with warm fuzzies. But the warm fuzzies have got to be rooted in something. The reason I get a warm fuzzy when I hear the song is because I have a deep foundation in the word of God. And that word speaks to me. That song speaks to me because it's it's revealing the truth of what God has already said in his word. So, Faith isn't simply an emotional feeling. It also, faith is not people who accept something as true apart from the evidence. Say what? Faith is not people who accept something as true apart from the evidence. I think I mentioned this Wednesday night. Uh, in my class. Biblical faith is not some blind leap out into the dark, out into nothingness, as if we've come to this great chasm, and it's dark, and we don't know what's out there, and God expects us to just take off running with all, all that we have and just leap out not knowing if there's a ledge down there, if there's a net, if there's a branch we can hang on to, just to leap out into the into the darkness. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is based upon evidence. It's based upon evidence. So many people today, they say, "Well, well, science. Science says this. Science has proven this." But a lot of that biblical stuff, yeah, you just You just have to kind of take it on faith. That's what we say. That's what people say. Science is like so concrete because science can prove it in a laboratory, but but this biblical stuff, you just have to kind of accept it on faith. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that's not biblical faith. If it's accepting something as true completely apart from uh, the evidence, that's not biblical faith. I think it's a very prevalent view. I heard a story, a preacher said there was a man who went to a psychiatrist. And he got in and he sat down on the, on the couch and he said, doctor, I'm a dead man. And the doctor said, well, you're, you're here and we're having a conversation. He says, yes, but I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man. And the doctor says, well, you drove your car here to my office, right? He says, yes, but I'm, I'm a dead man. He says, well, you got out of your car and you walked in and you walked up the stairs to my office. He says, yes, doctor, I, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm telling you, I'm a dead man. So the doctor thought to himself, and he said, how, how can I get through to this guy? And it dawned on him. He, he asked the guy, he said, well, let me ask you this. Do dead men bleed? And the guy thought about it and he said, No, dead men do not bleed. So the doctor took out uh, a needle and he pricked the guy's finger and he squeezed out a little bit of blood and he said, You see, there's blood. What do you think about that? And the guy said, Well, what do you know? Dead men do bleed after all. <laughs> Some people, they, they've already got their minds made up about something. And you're not going to convince them otherwise. Sometimes I think those of us come to the Bible, we've already got our minds made up, but it's not because of evidence. It's because we just, that's just what you do. You just believe. Mama took me, grandmama, and my, my grandparents were faithful members of this. In fact, they were founding members of this church. And so that's why I'm here. So, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe the Bible. Why do you believe that? Well, You just got to believe it. Well, is everything true? I I guess. I hope so. You just got to take it on faith. And I'm telling you this morning, that's not biblical faith. Example of people just wanting to believe something, even though the evidence doesn't support it at all. They project something. People who think that of us, simply have not checked us out and simply have not read the Bible. They have not read the New Testament because that is not what the Bible says is faith. Christian faith isn't just positive thinking. PMA, positive mental attitude. We've all heard of that. Some of you maybe have uh, worked in job and workplaces where they stress positive mental attitude. Attitude. There was a there was a skit years ago where the guy would look in the mirror and he had this ugly sweater on and he'd say, "I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me." And that's what he would tell himself to pump himself up to go out and face the day. Some of you may have read uh, Norman Vincent Peale's uh, book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Anybody read that? The Power of Positive Thinking. And Peel says that when you get up in the morning, before you get out of bed, put your feet on the floor and just say out loud, I believe, I believe, I believe, and that's the way you start your day, to which I would say, in what, in whom, what are we believing? I'm just believing that I'm going to have a good day. That's not biblical faith. We all like to be around positive people, don't we? Nobody likes to be around negative people and just suck the energy right out of you. No, we all like to be around positive people. But that's not biblical faith to just believe, just believe. I think some people people have faith in faith. Does that make sense? I think some people just have faith in faith, but they don't know what that faith is, is grounded in. But, I'm, but I know I'm supposed to have it. Genuine faith, as Hebrews 11 makes clear, is not based on our feelings. Those, those things fluctuate, they come and go. You can't base things on that. Real faith is based on the reliability and the trustworthiness of God. The reason for verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we start with God. We start with God. In the beginning, God. Doesn't start with an argument. Doesn't start with some scientific explanation. In the beginning, God. Every man... Every woman is made in the image of God. Paul said, It is the fool who says in his heart, There is no God. There is enough evidence in creation itself to know that there is a God. I see this all the time, and I've shared this with you when I go to Africa. Every village that I come to, especially in Togo, where there is idol worship rampant, it's getting less and less, praise God, because the gospel is is spreading and more and more people are learning about Christ. And so Jesus Christ is elevated. Idol worship is, is on the decrease. But every civilization since the beginning of time knows there is a God. And they may not know of Jesus Christ because... Somebody hasn't gone to them and told them that. But creation itself speaks that there is a God. There is a creator. And I'm going to tell you what. I think it takes more faith to believe that all of this stuff just happened out of nothing than it does to believe in a creator God. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe that you and I just, you know, happened out of nothing, that this world just came out of nothingness. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Isn't that what Billy Preston said? (laughs) I'm not going to sing it, but I could. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to put your faith in God. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Where does this come from? You say, I get down on my knees and I pray to the God of heaven, but I've never seen God. You say, one day when I die, I'm going to go home uh, to be with God in heaven, but I've never seen heaven. Where does this faith come from? It's a result of God's grace and God's mercy to us. In opening our eyes to the truth, the truth of who he is, and then faith in that produces certainty. God has been so gracious to us. He has shown himself through creation. He's revealed himself in creation. He has revealed himself even further in his word. His word is truth. And then, lastly, and probably most important of all, he's revealed himself in his son, in his son Jesus. You say, How can I know God? How can I know that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him? I'm going to share a passage with you in a moment. But I think, folks, in their foolishness and in their rebellion, choose not to believe in such a God because they don't want anyone to have any control of their lives. And such a God who has created you, who has made you in his image, has every right to expect something from you. And I'm convinced that there are a lot of people who would never darken the door of a church building, they have more faith in that God because the reason why they're not here is that they know that that God has a right to expect something of them. And they're not willing to make those changes. Now I'm not angry this morning. I'm just getting fired up. (laughs) I I sound angry in my my head when I'm saying this. I'm not angry. I'm, I'm I'm just excited. I think there are more people out there who believe that there is a God They believe that Jesus Christ is his son, but the reason that they will not turn to him is because they want control of their own lives. They don't want to give up control, and they know that this kind of God that has this kind of love, who gave his only son, who died on a cross, who was buried and was raised again, that kind of God has the right to claim authority over their lives, and they're just not willing to give that up. Everybody wants a savior, but nobody wants a king. We all love the idea of having our sins removed. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions. He's cast them in the ocean, and he remembers them no more. We all love the idea that when we die, we're going to go We're going to have a home. We're going to have a mansion. The King James says we're each going to get our own mansion. That's what we sing about. The NIV says we're all going to live in God's house. We're going to have a room in God's house. Either way, it's going to be beautiful, right? We all love the idea of having a Savior, but not too many of us want a king. King gets to tell you how to live. If you're loyal to the king, if you're his subject, he gets to tell you where to go, what to do how to spend your money, how to spend your time. We all want a Savior. Not many of us want a king. As we go through chapter 11, all of these lives were lived by faith. They heard the word of God. They trusted the promise of God. And then they lived in the light of that promise. They heard the word of God, God made promises, they believed those promises, and then in light of those promises, they lived their lives. Take Noah for an example. We're, we're not going to get into to all of that this morning. My wife said, I thought I'm preaching on Hebrews 11. She says, well, man, that's a, that's a lot of stuff. And she says, how far are you going to go? I says, one, maybe one verse. <laughs> we're going to maybe get through one verse. But let's think about Noah for a second. The word of God comes to Noah. Noah, I'm going to flood all of the earth. What's a flood? Well, it's gonna rain. What's what's rain? It's never rained, right? The word of God comes to Noah. He says, I'm gonna flood the earth, okay? The promise comes to Noah. You build an ark and everybody that gets in that ark will be saved. So what does Noah do? He builds an ark. He heard the word of the Lord. God made a promise. And in light of that promise, Noah lived his life. You see, I think most of us, many of us, we've heard the word of God. We acknowledge the promise, and we actually believe that the promise is true, but we've never built the ark. We've never built the ark. We've never done what he said. We've only been hearers, but not doers. Biblical faith is not just checking off the first two boxes. It's checking off the third box. That's why when we ask the question, am I a man of faith? Am I a woman of faith? For many of us, the answer has to be no. No, I'm not. If I'm honest with myself, I'm not really a person of faith. I've never never gone and actually lived in light of the promise and been obedient. So what's involved in faith? First of all, knowledge. How much time do I have? Oh, I've still got an hour. <laughs> I think my watch has stopped. Um, I'll close with this. Sort of like the Apostle Paul closed a few times. What's involved in faith? Let me, let me, let me just finish this. We'll be blessed, I think. Knowledge. Knowledge. John chapter 17. You got to look at this. John chapter 17, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer right before he's crucified. He's praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples. John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How can you know God? You look at Jesus. Earlier in the, in the chapter, in the very first chapter, John chapter one, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only. Who is at the Father's side has made him known. How can you know God? The Bible says, and it's actually the word used here in Greek, Jesus is the exegesis of God. That's actually the word. We've talked about that in in our studies on Wednesday night. Exegesis is really when you look at the Bible and and you try to explain what that passage means in light of its context. You're explaining what the Bible is is saying literally, and that's what the word is used here for Jesus. Jesus is the explanation of God. How, how How can you know God? You look to Jesus. What would God do in this situation? What did Jesus do? How would God treat a woman caught in the very act of adultery? What did Jesus do? What would would God do with a woman who'd been divorced five times and now she's shacking up with a guy? How would he treat that woman? What did Jesus do? You see, Jesus explains God to us because he is the exact representation of God, because he is, in fact, God. So it starts with knowledge, You've all heard the story of the little boy who was drawing a picture in in Bible class. And the teacher came over and she bent over the desk and she said, well, what are you drawing? And he says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she says, oh, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. And he says, they will in just a few minutes. (laughs) Jesus tells us what God looks like. He is God. So it starts with knowledge. And then secondly, there has to be um, assent. I, I don't know how else to say that. There has to be mental assent to that knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong. Faith is not just mental assent. Doral, are you hearing me? Faith is not just mental assent, but it's never anything less than mental assent. Once you have the knowledge, you have to accept the knowledge. You assent to it. You agree to that knowledge. True faith takes its character or its quality from its object, not from itself. So We put our faith in God, and so that's where we get the character and the quality from. So it starts with knowledge. Then you have to accept that knowledge, give assent to it, And then thirdly, you have to trust it. Trust. It has to be more than just assent. James chapter 2 and verse 19, I I quote this all the time, but it says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Did you know that the devil and the demons, they're, they're not atheists? They have an orthodox view of who God is. Jesus is the Son of God. They know that. They believe that. So are they saved? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We know that. It's got to be more than just mental assent. You have to move into a period of trust. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon me. Learn of me. Come underneath my lordship. Let me guide you. Let me direct you. Be obedient is what he's saying. And all of that is about taking action. Come, learn, do. Do. Be obedient to me. Faith is not something that you keep in a shoebox and then just take it out when you need it. Okay, God, you got me through that. Back in the shoebox you go, and I'll come back and, and get you when I need you again. That's not faith. Knowledge, assent, trust. Let me finish with a, an illustration about getting married. If you get married, if, if you do it the right way, I don't know how many of us did it the right way, but, but if you do it the right way, it starts with knowledge. You find this person. You, you become attracted in some way to this person. So then there has to be knowledge, a, a gathering of knowledge. How do you do that? You, you go out to dinner. You maybe go to a movie. You spend time together. Maybe you go for long walks in the park. And as you're walking, you're talking. You're getting to know that person. You're you're gathering knowledge to the point where you begin to think, could I spend my life with this person? Is this the kind of person that could help me get to heaven? And once you find that knowledge and you are comfortable that the answer to that is yes, then you assent to that. You accept it. You agree that yes, this person, this woman, this man could could be someone I could spend my life with. So you pop the question. Hopefully the answer is yes. But now you have to move to trust. To trust. I want to give my life to you. I want to spend all the rest of my days with you. I want to trust you. I want to love you. How many of you have ever said to Jesus, my Jesus, I love you. I know thou art mine. And for me, all the follies of sin, I resign my gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art thou. If ever I loved you, my Jesus, oh, my Jesus, tis now. Have you ever said that to Jesus? Have you ever committed to him? Have you ever said to him, just as I am, Lord, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come.